Um, it, it just dawned on me while we were back there singing that, you know, you know that simple, those are four words, right? You are my king. Well, you are my, yeah, okay. I went to Stanley County Schools. I had to think about that for just a second. I'm sorry. That was back before we got good teachers. So if you're a teacher now, don't be offended. Um, wasn't it a nice save? Thank you. Thank you. You are my king. Here's, here's what I was thinking about over there while we were singing that. All that that says, and it says a lot, right? Those are four powerful words. But all it really says is it acknowledges that someone greater than you is in the room. That's all it does. It acknowledges that someone greater than your problems is in the room. Someone greater than the bill that is at home on your desk right now that's waiting money to pay for it. It's greater than that. He, someone greater has stepped into this room. Now I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to give you permission right now to visualize whatever the mountain is in your life, whatever it is you're facing. It will be a lot of things for a lot of different people. And before we move past this moment, I just want you to, to hear me say, he is king over that. And it sounds impossible, but it is true. Because he is the ruler over everything. The question that we have to wrestle with is not you are a king, but you are my king. That's the question. And it is a question to be wrestled with. And if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, I'll, I'll give it to you, Paul. He's a, he's a king. I'll even say that he's the king. I'm not sure I'm in a place to say he's my king. I'm cool with that right now because that's something to be wrestled with. But I'm telling you, he is king over whatever you thought of in that moment. He's king over it. That's cool. If you don't hear anything I say in the next 30 minutes, it's possible that you won't. Just remember that. Okay, when you walk out of these doors, you remember he is king. He is king. Okay? All right, you can open your eyes because you're all falling asleep. People are starting to nod off and drool. It was ugly. Um, okay, so we're in the second week of our Chris Mythbusters series, and I'm going to need a little bit of help today. I always kind of feel bad for the, the, um, the children that are in here, and, you know, we don't have anything right now for the, the kids, and so I thought we could maybe try to get three of them involved. If I, if I have... I don't want to put an age limit on, but I need three volunteers. You don't have to get messy. You want to, come on, come on, Allie. Yeah, come on, just come on. That's your table right there, the one that says reserved. There you go. I see one more. Do I have one more? Can I pick one of my children? Oh, you know, come on, come right up here. There you go. Perfect. Now listen, you don't have to do anything. Just eat, okay? Are you hungry? Kind of hungry today? All right. So what I have for you. And you have to forgive me. I was a youth pastor for 20 years, okay? So I'm all about this kind of stuff. If this is, if this is beneath you, get a life. <laughs> so um, I have a, pa a bag of sweet 16 donuts for you and a bag for you. And where are the parents of these <laughs> wonderfully mild children right now? Yes. Um, I just want to go ahead and say to the parents... 
that in each of these bags is six containers, I mean six servings, because the serving size is three donuts. I, as your pastor, spiritual authority over you, give you permission to eat the whole bag. Okay? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, we might need to get them some water. Can we do that? They may need some water. Now, here's all I want you to do. It's not a race. Take your time. I'm going to be talking for like 30 minutes. And just eat all the donuts you can, okay? There you go. We'll get you some water and maybe a bag to throw up in later. <clears throat> and let me just, have you ever eaten sweet 16 donuts? Okay. So you know that you can't really breathe when you eat. If you breathe in, you're like, <coughs> and if you breathe out, it goes everywhere. So be careful, okay? All right. Go, no, go ahead. Really, just eat away. We'll come back to you in a little bit. Okay, so we're, um, you got your sheets out. Um, we're going to just tackle just two myths. Today we're talking about possibly the most famous person who's not in the Bible. The innkeeper. Okay? This guy is amazing. He's in every Christmas story. Um, he's just not in the Bible. And that's a little bit of a problem. So let's just go ahead and tackle myth number one. Myth number one is that there was an innkeeper. That's the myth. The truth is, and again, I'm sorry that I, I, I confess I, I went to public school and this is what came out. They wasn't. What? Really? Really? Did I just, did I type that? They wasn't. <laughs> It's supposed to be there wasn't. Obviously, you already figured that out. The truth is there wasn't an innkeeper because there wasn't an inn. Tasting good? It looks like it's tasting good. So here, here we go. Let's just tackle this. Okay? Let's kind of unwrap this one a little bit. The Christmas season, this Christmas season, all over the county, all over the state, all over the world, there will be countless nativity pageants, right? Kids will get up, and, and I love that. Um, we've, we've had our fill of children's Christmas pageants. Um, I, I, I don't know how much I can actually go into stuff like this, but we've watched our, our child like flip off a whole church during a pageant, not because he was mad, but because that was just how he signaled the number one. And he just got fascinated with his finger on the front row of the church, like the whole church, just looking at him, and he's just fascinated with the wrong finger on his hand. Um, we, we've seen shepherds pick up the staffs and shoot people, take out the entire nativity, you know, the whole deal. You, you'll, hear, um, you'll hear entire sermons built around the innkeeper. Great sermons, heartwarming sermons, just built around a dude that's not in the Bible. I, I found this one. I love this. Church had their Christmas pageant, and this boy wanted to be Joseph for a very godly reason. He was crushing on Mary, okay? But he didn't get the part of Joseph. He got the part of the innkeeper. So when they knocked on his door, he opened it. He reached out and grabbed Mary by the wrist and pulled her in, pushed Joseph to the side and said, there's room for you, but there's no room for you. And he slammed the door. <laughs> Great story, just, dude, the innkeeper's not in the Bible. So we have to ask ourselves this question. How did the innkeeper get into the Christmas story? It's all in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. 
We'll start in verse 1 because it's good to read the Christmas story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Verse 5 says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that verse right there is where the innkeeper popped in. Because there's no room for them in the inn. For years, we read that. We picture, right, we kind of picture Mary up on the donkey, riding. She's great with child, like the bump. On, like if she's, on, if she's on a donkey, if she's on a camel, like if she was on a camel, can you imagine that? Like the bump on the camel would match the bump she had. It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Because she's great with child. Great with child. I actually saw, I don't know if I should say this out loud because it's being videoed, but I actually saw a person get on the platform and have a pregnant woman stand up and said she would, look, she's great with child. I was like That's the way to get slapped, isn't it? Calling out how big a pregnant woman's belly is. <laughs> Dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> They have public speaking lessons, right? So we see these pictures of them traveling. We know that they're weary, and we read this. There's no room in the end. So we just assume, right? We just assume that that's the Holiday Inn Express. Well, they're going somewhere where they're just going to... And there, there were inns like that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, you've read about them. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 34. A little Greek lesson here. The word there is pandochion. Sounds like something you're going to eat later at the Chinese restaurant, doesn't it? I'd like a large order of pando chion, please. That's the Greek word, and that literally does mean end. That's the word that's used in the story of the Good Samaritan. And he actually mentions that he pays the innkeeper. Innkeeper's mentioned in that story. You know why? Because that was an end. Like people would come up, they were traveling, they would pay for a room. The Good Samaritan put the guy that was beat up in the room, and then he paid the innkeeper to take care of him. The only problem is Luke uses that word for the Holiday Inn Express type of inn, but in our story, he doesn't use that word. He uses a whole different Greek word. It's kataluma, and it refers to a guest room in a private home. There's no innkeeper there. It's just a guest room in a private home. Luke uses the same word in Luke 22, verse 11, when he told his disciples Hey, go and ask the man, can we use your guest room for the Last Supper? So you got to ask yourself, Luke's using the same word in two places, a different word in another place. So here, when he uses the word for guest room, he really means guest room. I, maybe that doesn't flow so well in all the songs that we've written over the years. Maybe it's harder to kind of make that feel good when you're watching a Christmas pageant. It's a whole lot better to have a kid open the door and go, there's no room here. But the truth of the matter is, these guys just journeyed in from out of town, and there is no room in the inn because the guest room's already been taken up. There's no innkeeper because there's no inn. So let me just, let's see if we can apply this to our lives today. Let me just suggest one thing to think about, and then I'll give you the application. Because there wasn't a jerk for an innkeeper, who said no to Mary and Joseph, here's the application. 
We can't point at someone else. Let me just suggest this to you. We like having an innkeeper in the story. We like having a scapegoat. Kind of takes the attention off of us. Because we kind of we read the story and think, well, if well, if I had been the innkeeper, I would have made room. I, I mean, I heard, I heard a great story about a kid who said, There's no room for you in the inn. And when they started to walk away, he said, But wait, you can have mine. Great story, not biblical. And the truth of the matter is, if you read Jeremiah 17, 9, if you read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, you know what you'll find out? That our heart is deceitful above all things, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means, let's paraphrase it, none of us, if we had been the innkeeper, would have volunteered our room. None of us. We like to think that we would, and as long as the innkeeper didn't, we can always say, he's a jerk, but I wouldn't have been. But the Bible says you and I would have been jerks too. Apart from Christ, we would never have offered our own room. So the application this morning is because there's no innkeeper in the Christmas story, we can't point our finger at anybody else. We have to start dealing with ourselves. We have to start examining our hearts, asking ourselves questions. What would we have done and what are we doing today with Jesus? And that leads to myth number two. A cold world shoved Jesus to the back. We probably don't ever say it quite like that, but we do pretty much believe that those people that didn't make room for Jesus were jerks. A cold world pushed him to the back, shoved Jesus to the back. So let's talk about this. Where was the guest room? And then I'll tell you what the truth is. Because they were traveling to Joseph's hometown, more than likely they went to one of his relatives' homes. Because they got there after everybody else had gotten there, they walk in, and they dude, we would have loved to have given you the guest bedroom, but it's full. Your Aunt Sally's already in there, and you know how your Aunt Sally is. Like Once she's been there, you don't want to be in there. But we do have... The stable out back. And the way that homes were built in that day, they had one level with all the family. They'd stay there. And then they had a lower level, which was either a room built on the back or they actually built their home attached to a cave. And then the back is where the animals stayed. That was the stable. That's where the manger went, which was just the feeding trough for the animals. She laid Jesus on top of feed. So because she's close to giving birth, I don't know how you are. Um, if somebody shows up at my house and they're very close to birth, how you doing? You okay? Keep eating. They're good, aren't they? I mean, eat till you can't eat anymore. It's okay to be full. Just go ahead. The whole bag. I don't want to see any more. You're slowing down. But you got powdered sugar everywhere, and that's awesome. If somebody shows up at my door, and I know them, they're my family, and they need a place to stay, and they're going to be delivering in my home the baby in their belly, I'm thinking, that's going to be kind of messy. Like when, when we were first going to birthing classes, I mean, I just kind of, I know this is gross, and I'm sorry, just deal with me. 
I really honestly envisioned birth to be like this. Uh, uh, <laughs> and in like blood everywhere. And then wah. That's kind of how I pictured it. I mean, it is messy. But it's not like, a lot of people are like, I'm never having kids. I'm not going to get married. Nothing. <laughs> if it's like that. But I just kind of pictured like alien. You know? It's not quite that bad, but there is a lot of mess involved in delivery. And so if somebody shows up at my house and they're getting ready to go into, into labor and, and delivery, I would probably turn to Wendy, and she's the sweetest person in the world, and I would have said, um, honey, you want to put them in the guest room? And she'd have been like, we just cleaned the sheets. It's, you know, it's, 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 we're not going to make it messy, but we got the playroom, and you know how the kids are, always messy. It's always kind of cluttered. Let's put them out there. Because we can clean that up. It needs to be cleaned up anyway. See, it makes perfect sense. They're not being cold. They're not being heartless. They're not being jerks. They're just looking at the whole practical situation and saying, you know what? You're getting ready to give birth. We're going to put you out back and scream your head off. It's a cave. It's all cool. It's already messy. I mean, have you been there? Have you smelled it? It's good. You know, it might make you push harder, get it out sooner, get him out, and then we'll be done. The whole deal. They put him out back. I want you to get this. What kind of family looks at a member who's great with child, a daughter-in-law? Well, maybe I should rephrase that. There are some mom-in-laws that would be like, yeah, you're going out back with the poo. Right? What kind of family looks at their, their daughter-in-law? She's great with child. And they say to her, look, we're going to put you out back in the barn. What kind of family does that? What kind of family says we're not going to clear the guest room? We're going to put you in the back. Is it a cold family? I want to submit this. It's a crowded family. What is it about the family Christmas photo that brings out the worst in people? We talk about peace on earth, goodwill to men, and we don our gay apparel and best smiles. Yet, what goes on behind the scenes of the family photo often contradicts the final image we're trying to convey. But perhaps this conflict of what we are and what we wish to be is what the Christmas season is all about. The truth that we need someone to save us from ourselves, from our impatience, our frustration, our selfish clash of wills, and perhaps even in our best moments. What the camera captures isn't the image of a perfect family as we are, but the possibility of what we can be through the hope that Christ brings. So, is it a cold family that shoves Jesus to the back? That's the myth. Here's the truth. It was a crowded family that showed Jesus what they had. I want to make sure that I get this across. Here's the application. It's hauntingly simple. Make room for Jesus. Again, four words. Make room for Jesus. So often we give Jesus nothing because we feel like we can't give him everything. I want you to understand that what the, what the family said, they said, we can't give you the best room, but we got something. 
What we say to Jesus is, I can't give you the best room, so I'll give you no room. Here's a family who made room for Jesus. Because they gave Jesus what they had, eventually the king who was born, he took over the stable. His presence took over the house. Y'all been around newborns, hadn't you? I just saw one yesterday, like a head of hair you would not believe. Like, that baby's like minutes old with a fro. It's crazy. I mean, when babies are born, something about the whole world just stops. It's crazy. All the pushing, the screaming, the yelling, get out, shut the video camera off. Ah! And then the baby's born. Look at that. Wow. I mean, even their poop doesn't smell bad. It's crazy how the presence of a baby takes over. And I don't want you to miss this very simple application. Your life is crowded. It's crazy busy. And you hear message after message after message that says, give Jesus everything or give him nothing. Let me just suggest this. That this story says there is precedent for giving Jesus what you can and watching him slowly take over everything else. John chapter 6, there was a boy who had a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. And what happened? He fed thousands of people. Acts chapter 3, there were two disciples that had no money, totally broke, couldn't pay the light bill, and they gave a man healing and salvation. Sometimes we give Jesus what we have instead of wishing we could give him what we don't. And when you give him what you've got, when you make room for Jesus, he starts to make more and more room in your life for his glory, for himself. How are we doing? Are you getting full? You're, you're done? Are you, are you sick of them? Yeah. Allie's like, give me the rest of the bags. I'm eating them all. <laughs> That's a smart girl right there. I don't know if you heard that, but she said, I'm not eating that one you spit off of. <clears throat> are you bit off of? Yeah. yeah. I think he chewed it up and spit it back in the bag, actually. It's kind of gross. Can I get you anything else? Turkey, ham, water. You want some more water? Well, have you ever heard the expression? Um, now, Wendy had never heard this, but I've heard there's always room for jello. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that all my life. Um, I got, I know you're full and all, but. I think, can you get, y'all get the jello? We got some jello. I'm just curious to see if you can fit jello in your belly after you're full. You think you can fit jello? Yeah. You th- oh, yeah. I think Allie can fit anything. Can you fit a rhinoceros? All right. So, go ahead, sit down. Just keep eating. Now, here's the deal. 
I'm loving watching him chow that jello down. I got I got five dollars for each one of you if you eat all that jello. <laughs> Here's the deal. You make room for what you want. Is it true? Is it okay to say that? Yes. I've told the story a couple times. When I was in college, I, I transferred from Pfeiffer to Wingate University to try to play football. I emphasized the word try. And I remember one of the things that I learned was from one of the coaches. He was um, Coach Barnett. He played linebacker in college. He was like this huge bullet of a man, just, I mean, barrel chest, the whole deal. And this is when I start to appreciate how big professional football players are because he played linebacker in college, and he got drafted by the Cleveland Browns to play safety. I'm thinking, well, how, much, how big are the linebackers? Because this guy was like huge playing, got moved to the farthest back position, and we're running this mile. And I'm out of shape, you know, I'm with a couple guys. We're just kind of just going slow. And he comes driving up on his golf cart, which used to always kind of make me mad. Like the coach has the golf cart. What's up with that? And he's driving. He looks at us and he goes, what are you, what are you doing? We're running. What's it look like we're doing? Yeah, but you're going slow. Yeah, we're, we're just kind of trying to pace ourselves. You ever said that to somebody? We're just trying to pace ourselves. And he said this to me. I've never forgotten it. He said, don't pace yourself. If you want it bad enough in the end, it'll be there. A lot of people pace themselves with Jesus. I don't want to give him everything. I'll just give him something. I'm not sure if it's going to work out. Let me just say this. Make room for Jesus. Don't start running in your head all the things that could happen, might happen, the bad things that could go wrong if you give Jesus lordship of your life. Just make room for him. Is it fair to say, without being too graphic, that a lot of us can relate to a cave that smells like animals? That that's where Jesus goes? Because what I'm asking you to do, that what I'm asking you to do today, is invite Jesus into your stable, into your life that's jacked up and smells like cow poo. We got a lot of junk going on in our lives. And that's actually where Jesus wants to start in your life. He just wants you to make room for him in the worst situation. And if you do that, I believe that he will do in your life just what he did in this story. He will start as a baby and he will grow and his presence will begin to take over everything. Until you and I are saying this, you are my king because I gave you what I had and you made it work it's always you done with the jello are you done you're done you're getting there oh that's a one dollar bill you don't need that what if I've lost the five? Oh no she could have jello in her mouth. I have one right there, and I have two more fives. <laughs> I am lucky. So while they're finishing up the jello, here's what I'm asking you to do. Just take a moment and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Phil to come up and just kind of pick on the guitar a little bit. Let me ask you this question.
Are you willing to do what Joseph's family did? Are you just, are you willing to say, you know what? I think, Jesus, I'm supposed to give you everything. I can't do that. I can't. I, it's, I'm t- it's too crowded. I'm too overwhelmed. My life is too crazy. But I can start here. Can, are you willing to make room for Jesus? Are you willing to do what these children are doing right now? I'm really full from the donuts, but I'm going to get this cello down because I want the $5. And if nothing else, are you willing to make room for Jesus just to have a shot at hope? He is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness. And the Bible says the darkness cannot overcome it. I do not have all the answers to your situation. But I'll tell you what I know. Light takes over. A small light takes over. And I'm going to ask you to make room for Jesus.